Welcome to the Build and Banter podcast, the show that's all about conversations on products, startups, and user engagement on the African continent. I am your host, Kelvin Mashira. In today's episode, we're bringing on a special guest to discuss all things data. My guest today will talk to us about her life as a lead data engineer and the journey that led her to this. We'll discuss her career from working both in Africa and Europe and what she has been up to so far, what she has been able to learn so far. Be sure not to miss out on the details. As usual, it gets better as it goes along, so stick to the end. Now, Eva Mwangi is a data engineer. She has extensive experience having worked as a, uh, as a data engineer at Get Ionetized, Zipline, and now Playo. She'll give us inter- insights into the, growing role, uh, into the growing role of data, who are data scientists and engineers, and what role they play in product teams today. She's also an avid writer, and you can find a blog where she talks about all things Python, data engineering, and travel. Today, she'll share with us experiences across her career and how she came to love the world of data. Thank you for joining us, Eva. Thank you for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I've been trying to get Eva to this podcast, so I'm glad she's given me at least an hour of her time today, right? She's a busy lady. So let's get started here. Um, Hi, Eva. So let's start from the very beginning. I mean, how did it all start with you? How did you get into the world of software? I'm pretty sure you got into software before you got into data. So could you maybe just start with that? Like, how did it all start for you that you came to love computers and software and data and all those kind of things? Um, it's amazing. I I studied computer science in JQuart. We used to call it Juja Boys at that time, but I'm sure right now it's completely changed <laughs> yeah. um i know like um when i say that um my, my journey is expected i'll end up in software but i saw or i touched my first computer at 17 years old that was after high school and it's because i was cleaning computers for a company um and the owner decided to teach me word and all those kind of stuff I was also a lecturer at jquat him mm. to understand what is going on in computer and also to see what he does and when i landed the computer science department i i knew to some extent this is what i wanted to do and so i i enrolled for computer science in in jquat instead of pharmacy like my mom would have liked mm-hmm. and so after after computer science i go into software engineering um, and I I tried everything, like any any other person who is starting out their career, they try building websites with Joomla, then Bootstrap, then you go back to WordPress and all those kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. at some point, I also joined MESC to be a software engineer entrepreneur, mm-hmm. which is kind of where we met. Yeah, um, yeah but uh, in the end, I got a job in, in Ghana mm-hmm. and I could... I, I was good in coding with Python and my boss at the time had heard that people who code in Python are also good in data science. So they gave me a project in data science and mm. for the next three months from that day, I had to study what is data science, how I get to deliver it. And 
I did. I had three hours, but I, I had to, I had to deliver. Okay. Okay. So it seems like an interesting dynamic of a few mentors in and out of your life, right? So I, I know. Could you maybe like who, in terms of software, in terms of you growing as a software engineer, are there some people in the role of Hall of Fame for your life so far? Basically, who've led, who've been leading you to that step where you are feeling confident to call yourself. I'm the data engineer caller, right? Are there some people you'd think about when you're thinking about back on your journey? To be honest, I, I think more of organization because the organization gave me the people. Mm. Well, I was in j we had this Andela, we would interact with Andela. At the time, they had this uh, this system where they would educate uh, software engineers and then give them a job. And mm. so having that avenue and being able to see, to have some, some people or someone to look up to and like, oh, mm. so you can actually make money from writing this English-like thing. <laughs> and also they, they, um, they also tell you, well, if you're doing this, you're not doing the right thing and those, those stuff. The mm. other organization is MESC. I mean, MESC mm. give me not only like a chance to discover who I am in, in, in my career, but also like the system to learn software engineering and data science. And that's how I'm able to like, today I might wake up, I do not know anything about Kafka or a programming language, but mm. MESC give, give me like um, a framework to learn new things fast and then use them to solve problems. And so I'd say it's more organizations than people, but I also have a lot of people around me who have made it possible. Okay, I found it. Okay, so cool. Uh, so your career so far has been quite interesting. Eh? So you were born Kenyan, but Mass took you to Ghana and you had quite a career there. And now you're in Germany. So could you tell us like, what has that been experienced for you? That the fact that you've actually not worked in the country you were born in for most of your career, how's that been experience been for you? It's interesting because I've actually worked in Kenya, but for a month in Saiton. Oh, oh um, you worked in Saiton? Oh, okay. Right. I should probably <laughs> not say that loudly. Uh, right. <laughs> but um, the experience, I think, Personally and professionally, it's growth uh, from interacting with people from very diverse and different cultures, which mm. kind of really makes me comfortable in who I am. And mm. I used to, especially in high school, because I came from a primary, a very a primary school where we were taught in vernacular, and I had a very deep Kikuyu accent. And when I got there, everyone would laugh at how I pronounce some words and things like that. But Wait, now... <laughs> you were taught in Kikuyu? Which yeah. school was this? Which school was this? I was in a rural. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, were they the ones that teach you Kikuyu from, uh, let's say, class one to class four? Is that is that, is that, that kind of situation? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you are definitely in a rural school. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. And, and even like when they start introducing English and Swahili, they yeah. teach you the words with a Kikuyu translation. So, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a cup, Yakobe. That's interesting. That's interesting. When I start working with all these people from like in Ghana, 
in in Germany and I hear how people from Poland say some words and I'm like yeah, maybe I say words differently but I'm very proud of how I say them and I'm not in, interested in any way to sound differently I mean it's you it's you it's part of who you are right <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. interesting okay cool so, um yeah carry on yeah do you, do you add yeah, someone so- yeah. yeah, I think also like there is obviously the the upper the good side where I'm I'm I mean this hyper growth lane and all those like the advantage of not working in Kenya and being an expert it kind of also give me maybe better pay experience mm. of being outside of my environment and looking at my culture from a third uh, from a third perspective. But also there is the bad of being very very lonely which mm. kind of leads to some mental health issues because most of the time when you're not in control of where you can be and who you can be around mm. um you start being alcoholic or like doing something yeah. really are not good for your for your health and i noticed like when i started now in a personal life getting into partnership I'm more private and the the person that I'm with is really having a hard time getting through to me because I'm like, I'm used to being efficient with who I am. But also, okay. I would I would really encourage people to get mm. out of Kenya at some point and work mm. with other companies and then probably come back if you want. That's, that's quite interesting. Um, I, I think I, I totally kind of relate because I think mine was a bit different because I was I was starting my company in Ghana. I do get the loneliness and the mental health issues and also like it's good to kind of like find communities, right? Find communities that you can relate to, right? Um, but yeah. uh, it's, it's a very interesting topic you've actually brought up in terms of mental health, especially if you're abroad. And you don't have as many people, <laughs> you know, close to you, right? Okay. Yeah, because some some cultures like um, I I don't want to stereotype, but I really have to say it like the German culture, they are more like not welcoming. So they have their own group of friends, and it's mm. really hard to get a friend unless you get a friend who is probably um who is also an immigrant or an expert living here. And mm. you would find that if you're working from an office and you're the only person who is not German, you wouldn't have people to go out to lunch with. And, mm. and so it makes your world smaller and smaller. And so, yeah, connecting with people, going for hikes, which I really love. Every Sunday, I just take my bag and, and I go for hikes so that I can be in the out and like mm. feel a bit more in control of what I can do well here. Uh, fantastic. Okay, so you've you've talked a bit about the organizations you've worked for, like the companies, and on your bio, basically you've worked for good, uh, amazing companies like Zipline, um, and Aspect, and also like you told us about the experience where your your boss gave you a project, and that's how you started data engineering. Maybe could you dive into some of your career aspect in regards to some of the things you learned and the, the things that kind of really helped you, like really propel your journey as a data engineer? Um, I'd say like like any career in tech, you're having confidence in yourself to solve mm-hmm. problem 
is one of the most important things. And from the companies I've worked for, I've mainly worked with startups that are in growth stage. So mm. they're not, they have kind of found their product market fit, but they're still starts and, and raise money. So they are mostly very ambitious and they change really fast. So your ability to learn and your ability to adapt and your ability to take risks is mm. one of the most important skills that you have to learn. Not you need to learn, you have to learn. Like it, it molds you to want to be more aggressive with the kind of problems that you're solving and the kind of people you interact with. And so I think for data engineer, anyone who is working in tech, the most important skill that you have to pick up is how to learn. And then That's from a... there, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, carry on, carry on. Yeah, and then from there, you you will start now building also your social skills, and mm. it starts with how to learn, and then your social skills, and then your technical skills. Because mm. and I and I I put the social skills higher because I found that your your technical skills are mostly amplified by your social skills, like. When someone comes to you with a problem, can you mm. drill down to what the problem actually is? Like any customer who comes to you for a solution, they actually do not know what they need. They know what they want, but mm. you're the expert who knows what they need. Mm. And so they come to you and whatever they might tell you as a solution is just a band-aid. But you mm. want to solve the problems completely. And so Soft skills is the way to finding that solution. I mean, yeah, finding the problem and the solution. And then your technical skills is how you build the solution. And so the Python, the cloud <laughs> um, interfaces and all. All right. So l l let's, speak, let's speak to some of our users who've never heard about data. This is probably the first time listened to, right? So what, what would you describe? Because we brought in Duncan. A few weeks ago, right? So he's studying Africa Data School. So basically, they're trying to teach to train data scientists, right? But now, basically, well, he's starting a, a school that trains, but you actually do it on a day to day basis. So, what would you say to people who've never heard about anything about data? What is a data scientist? What is a data engineer? What What are the different roles in data, and what are the, what are their differences? What would you say are those? Yeah, um, I'll put a dis disclaimer first and say that most of the time companies define these roles according to their needs. But from an industry perspective, a data engineer is the person who moves data from where it's being produced to where it can be analyzed. And this is how it works. Like, for example, say you're collecting data about a class and you're filling this data in an Excel sheet. And then this Excel sheet is then passed to someone else who, who analyzes this data and comes up with maybe graphs. The person who has the responsibility of moving this data from where it's being produced to where it's being analyzed, that's a data engineer. And it sounds really simple, but it's kind of complicated because while they're doing this, they have to make sure that this process of movement is reliable it's on time and the data integrity is not compromised within the move. Mm -hmm. So it's not only the data, it's also everything keeping the integrity of that data. 
The other thing that they have to think about is um, what is the security when I'm moving this data? Because some of us are dealing with very sensitive issues. Take, for example, if you're using M-Pesa, it has data that pertains to you as a person and your identity and also mm -hmm. your electronic money. So we do not want anyone who is unauthorized to interact with that data while it's in transit between the production environment and the analytical environment. Mm. So, okay. uh, yeah, so, a data is a data transporter. <laughs> who can do it safely. <laughs> right. <Yes>. And, <laughs> and at scale. And I am saying this with a lot of pain mm -hmm. because um just yesterday I was dealing with I was on call for the week and I was dealing with an issue that was really frustrating. I had this error that data mm -hmm. is not moving. But when mm -hmm. I look at the code, I had I'm not seeing any particular errors that pop up. You know mm -hmm. what the problem was? Mm -hmm. When they were programming the data movement, they only had one database. So it mm -hmm. was easy. Move the data, move the data. But mm -hmm. within the last maybe one year, we mm -hmm. have grown those databases to 13 databases. Wow. So the infrastructure hadn't caught up with the changes, right? Yes. So the infrastructure <laughs> was like, oh, no, we cannot do that in databases. That is, that is quite interesting. Um, uh, I, I know, I know I, I, this is probably a bit of topic, but you see people like talk about how, like, let's say people use Amazon AWS, right? They wake up and you find like you have a crazy bill, right? Is that, is that a, is that a thing with data? Is that like involved with data? Like how you can just wake up and your cloud charges are like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is that, is that, is that also the role a data engineer would probably be looking at? Is that part of the... Uh, JD. For sure, yeah. They they have to keep in mind that even when I'm I'm moving this data, mm -hmm. the space that I'm occupying, the time that I'm using, at the mm. end of the day, it's a dollar sign for someone. Uh, so so there, okay. are, there are systems that I don't leave open for mm. un unless I'm using them. There are um also like um I always have to optimize for for that cost. It's it's, not, mm. it's, 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 it's very, very possible. I also, because I'm, I'm dealing with high volume data, like for example, um, we are moving like 18 terabytes of data to mm -hmm. be stored and to be processed. If this data is constantly being loaded into memory, of course mm -hmm. it costs more. So I optimize for even when we are dealing with data, can we deal with the, as little as possible data that is correct and safe? And not compromise, but at the same time, the dollar side has to make sense for everyone. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Okay, and so uh huh, carry on. Oh, I didn't talk about the data scientists because okay, I, data scientist, uh huh. Yeah, like like anyone in in my role, you think the data scientists are the villains, and they make our work hard, <laughs> but they are basically the consumers of the work we do. So we deliver this data to the analytics side and they take care of creating insights from this data, creating oh. learning models. for. So the data engineer is handling the data, right? And how it can be transported from obviously uh, insights from the client to 
now transported to the team of like data scientists who make sense out of this data that has been transported. Am I right? You know, you know, yeah. I'm a novice here. I'm a novice here. So <laughs> just that is exactly it. That's oh, it. okay. Okay, guys. You see, I'll add data scientist to my resume tomorrow. LinkedIn, guys, watch out. Watch out. <laughs> okay, carry on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, they they kind of like our bosses because they're the ones who, if we haven't built enough testing, if we haven't built good systems that the data is on time, they're the people who will tell us, hey, data engineers, we are not mm. getting enough data from you. We Your data is not in time. When the data reaches us, the quality is low. And so mm. that that's why I call them the villains to us. Maybe mm. what they... They tell us what to do. And I don't blame them because they, they have to for them to yeah. take jobs. Early. Okay, okay. Now, uh, you, you now work as a data engineer at Plio. And so could you basically, I, I think you've kind of like highlighted the role data engineers play in product teams. But this role has grown in importance because companies are now, even the large companies, I think they started off by like looking at their data and how it provides insights to them. And it's a whole... It's a whole custom acquisition thing. It's a whole thing that drives the product. So looking at it in a product sense for companies that are trying to build products, uh, what what role the, what role does that in product teams? How, how is that connection, data engineers and product teams work? Or is there any touch point between you and the product teams or is it just you and the data scientist? Um, the product teams, because we are moving data, from their environment to the analytics. It's a, it's a cycle. It's something that is completing itself. And each of them is taking feedback from the other. Um, the product teams, I interact with them as a source of data. And most of the time, what I'm advising is, how can we get higher quality data? And so, for example, one project we've worked on is um, I don't know how you call it, but it's something when I'm clicking on a website, there is a tool that takes those events and then sends them to the backend so that the product teams kind of understand how people are utilizing the project, their, their products, right? So, yes. uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, what um, in the past, we were correct. We were collecting, correcting, collecting some of this, um, some of this data. Uh, mm -hmm. but we got to a point where we thought that there could be, we could do more. Mm -hmm. Could we, could we could advise the teams to also like um look at other things. I work in a financial service, so I cannot really give. Yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, um, so those are kind of the things that we interact with. We also talk to the product teams, especially on the quality of data, because like I've mentioned, I work with uh, in companies that are in, in growth. So the mm -hmm. product is constantly being built. And yeah. most of the time, the product teams tend to optimize to solve the problem for the customer. And mm -hmm. they do not worry about the effect that is having downstream. And downstream mm. is us. So because mm. I I worry so much about the data and data is a first class citizen for me, mm. I I take the role of looking at the data quality that we are in general collecting and giving 
and telling the product teams what could be changed in the design of their architecture or in the questions that they are asking to make mm. the data quality better. I like that data as a first class citizen. Okay, guys, you heard it here first, eh? All right. So basically, to dig more about this, right? Um, obviously, in growth kind of startups, they have enough funding, they have enough growth, they have enough traction. So would you say that it's only those kind of companies that need to analyze their data or a startup that is trying to figure out their product market fit, right? Would uh, would they still be able to kind of like, analyze, do they still have a need to kind of like analyze their data? And basically, how, how would, what, do you think there's still a role for data for a smaller company rather than just a very medium-sized to large company uh, on growth? Yeah, that, that question hits right home because what I've observed, even in the companies that I'm working for, they only hired data teams after they have gotten enough funding or they started thinking about data after they had reached another milestone. So it was mm. not the first thing they thought about. So in uh, necessity, it's not the first thing. It's not the first thing. And mm. I understand why, like you've raised it, it's about resources, it's about the time. They're moving really fast. But at the same time, when I um when I read like zero zero to one, it's the learn, build, measure, and then learn. It's a really important thing when you're building a startup. So if you're not measuring then you're not learning so what are you building mm. so even if you are a small startup there are some resources that are not as expensive and also some and when i talk about resources i'm also talking about lessons that you could learn uh, courses that you could take um mm. tools that you could use tools that you're already using but mm. you're not utilizing like all of them for example um Thing like Google Sheets. Everyone has that. If you have Gmail, you have Google Sheets. Yes, correct. They are building so much into how much, like how much we can extract from data. So instead of, I don't say a data scientist because data scientists are expensive, but you could also have processes that makes you go back to the data. Do you have a review session where you sit down with your three founders and you look at what is happening in the company can we change metrics and another thing about data is if you're not measuring then you don't know what you're building but also if you're measuring the wrong thing you do mm. yourself in and i didn't learn this from building a, a startup i learned this myself like there was a time where i was going on a spiral in uh, mental mentally like i was having this really really hard time but it's because i had set goals and ways to measure those goals that mm. were, were more damaging than building so mm. it's, it's a it's a very iterative process just like building a product think about data as if not in this case the first class citizen at least the second class citizen just not non-existent Okay, that's that's quite interesting. That's quite interesting. And I think that's quite true. I mean, as a young startup, you can utilize Google Analytics. You're still getting data from about your traffic. You can um full story or 
all those kind of things. Basically, just seeing how people are interacting with your product. Those are ineffective ways to kind of like at least have some in your measuring, right? And before you actually hire someone who actually is full-time job is to kind of like look at this. So that, that's quite interesting. I did use that, but it took us a while. It took us a while because we we you were using like full story to kind of like know where clients are coming back, what errors are they serving, right? But that, that's quite interesting. Now, um, yeah, so I, I want to switch gears a bit, right? Um, so let's say I, as Kelvin, just loved, I was inspired, I had the good money in this career, and I was like, you know what? I need to be a data engineer. I cannot suffer anymore, right? How would I start? How 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 would I start? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just laughing so hard because <laughs> if if Kelvin came to me and said that, I'd be like, "Are you sure? Do you really want to do this?" But... Look, l- let me suffer in riches. Let me suffer in riches. How would I start if I if I like say I want to be a data engineer right now? I have possibly not done it before. I have an interest in software. Maybe I have a bit of uh, I I have an undergraduate in software engineering like how would i probably what is the best way to start my journey in a way that's the right yeah uh, I'd, I'd say like you have mentioned there are various places that people are and so in general i even when people ask me this question i tell them start where you are for example if you are a student and you're in the university that's the best time to go into data engineering and so you can take courses you can you can go to bootcamp, you can learn all these things from a class. But there is also another group of people who are working. And mm-hmm. what I ask them is, do they have an avenue or an opportunity in data analytics if they are completely non-technical? Say, for example, you're a recruiter or you are a HR manager. Are you in a position where you can start building some insights for your team? from greenhouse, pull in the data and do some insights for them. What this mm-hmm. does is it brings you closer. It doesn't really get you there, but it brings you closer. So if you're coming from a non-technical background, the easiest route is to start where you are, try mm-hmm. to move into data analytics, and this will give you like a data intuition and how to look at data, and then move into maybe analytics engineers, and then move into the engineers. And the reason I say this is most of us do not have the luxury to stop their job, their source of income, mm. and go back to school. So you, That's true. you need the money and you don't have the time because you're working eight hours, you have this podcast, you have other things that you're learning <laughs> alongside your, your career. So yeah. Telling you to go back to school is almost setting you up for failure. But if you can, if you still have some time, yeah, go no. back and take that three-month course. Learn mm. Python. No, actually, learn SQL first, then learn Python, and then look for a job. Actually, do not delay. Like, the faster you get into a job, because... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like, my mind is running really fast here because I this could be a whole podcast by itself but i'd say that another podcast coming up yeah <laughs> <laughs> podcast yeah. okay i'd say that the mistakes that i've seen a lot of people make is to delay in getting into mentorship that is direct 
and the this kind of mentorship is only a mentorship you can get from a manager because a manager is not only able to see what you need to learn but they are also able to provide opportunities for you to learn mm, yes if you're, getting, if you're getting advice from a person who is not directly managing you they can only tell you how you can manage your manager they cannot give you these opportunities on on learning so getting into a job with someone who is paid to actually make you grow then that mm. is the best place to be so get the job okay all right all right people watch out watch out that engineer coming through all right so ever I, I picked into your life a bit i snooped into your life the last week and i see you 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 like writing you like traveling a bit i've been all over your instagram I've been all over your Twitter. So tell us a bit about the other life that is not the engineering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my writing life. I <laughs> I started uh. writing because I needed to kind of, I want to say document, but it's really documenting. I just wanted to have like a, a track of where I was at, not only as like what I was doing, but also mentally. And writing gave me that opportunity. And I was just documenting. I, I basically, if you go on my page, I don't only talk about data engineering. I talk about travel. I talk about running demos. I talked about when I started um, my work at Clio. And so it's mainly documenting my journey. But I found out when I started that my thoughts have been more structured because of writing. And I realized actually there are people who do this specifically because they want to have a structure around their thoughts. And then I think also it it helped me um, share because mm. I've been a little bit guilty. There is a point of my life where um, I was a facilitator in in uh, data science courses, and then I stopped. And I and I stopped because I needed to focus on other goals. But in stopping, it kind of changed my my personality to be more introverted. And so I'm, I'm really guarded at this moment. And I'm thinking, this technical thing needs to get to people. Someone can mm-hmm. learn something. And so, yeah, I use that to share things. And I also realized that also people that I followed, they would share a lot about their work, but mm-hmm. they wouldn't share their minute details around what they do like mm. what books are they reading what tools mm. are they using other things to power their work so mm. like i talk about fights with my mom and my partner on there but mm. i will really share what books I'm, I'm i'm taking which gym i'm attending hopefully in the future mm. <laughs> and the hikes that i'm taking okay Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Um, I, th- I think I've learned a lot. Like I, I know for now how, how to how you got into your own role. I've known about what data engineers are. I've known about how I can get started. What is any parting advice you could give to someone who, who's probably looking at the future in terms of data engineer? Right, they might be listening to this and say, okay, man, looks like a lot. How do I get started? What's going on? Like, what is some parting advice you could give to someone? You know, Steve Jobs said you can only 
give advice looking backwards, right? So what is what is some of the advice you could give to someone at that stage? Hmm. I think I'd tell them to start now um, and not get intimidated or um, worried about how they look to other people because I realized that no one really cares um, about what you're doing they're mostly more worried about their, what they're doing so if you want to be a data engineer and there is someone you look up uh, you look up to go and tell them you look up to them and you want to learn something from them and they might laugh or maybe not they might be nice or they might be rude but just just get started and if you're already a data engineer it's easy to do things at a small scale always challenge yourself to bigger scale like you could do more or the infrastructure could do more just okay yeah go for it all right that sounds good now you had it folks now um we've had the, the very very talented ever come and tell us about her life as a data engineer and we have to kind of like make it out of pause but stay tuned for our next episode in a week's time we'll keep the conversation going on the impact of great products on our lives Thank you and see you next time. Bye-bye.